Hey, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I'm so fired up you're listening to the podcast today. I hope that this little short series reviewing our story, our vision, our mission, our strategy, and our values has been a blessing to you. I hope it's activated something fresh in you. I hope it's renewed your spirit even. I hope it's it's caused you to envision what's possible for you as a disciple of Jesus, as a member of Real Life Church, uh, wherever you are on the journey, I hope this short series has been a spark used by the Holy Spirit to stir something fresh in you. Today's actually my favorite uh, of in the short series because we're talking about our values. I love talking about values because I think it can be some of the most misunderstood and um, opportunity uh, not uh, actualized. So missed, misunderstood, uh, missed opportunity, um, and I think it's I think values are some of the most powerful aspects for any organization. The church is not an organization. The church is a living organism. We're a spiritual family. Um, so we're so much more than an organization, um, but we have stated values at Real Life Church. And what I love about our values is our values, the way we define values are the manner in which we go about our ministry. So we have a mission, delighting in God, discipling others. We have a strategy, gathering, giving, serving, and living. But our values are the manner in which we go about our mission. It's the manner in which we go about our strategy. So our vision is what we want to become. Our mission and our strategy is what we're doing to become that. And our values are how we're doing our mission and our strategy. They answer the question, how we implement our mission and our strategy. And one of the reasons I love values so much is because most people that study the school of leadership, most people that have um, really taken a deep dive on the, the discipline of leadership, that they conclude that the culture of an organization is always going to trump the strategy of an organization. In other words, we can have a, a stated strategy and we can seek to implement it, but it's going to be the culture of our organization that wins the day. It's the culture of our organization that determines the measure of impact we have in our community and among our church people. Why is that? Values shape our culture. Values determine our culture. So if somebody asks you today, hey, tell me about your church. It's my hope that you would talk about our values. If somebody says, hey, tell me about real life. What's special about real life? It's my hope. You wouldn't talk about our vision. You wouldn't talk about our mission. You wouldn't talk about our strategy. You would talk about our values. Our, our values answer the question, what's distinct about real life? Our values answer the question, what's different about real life? Um, it, it, our values, I hope, are kind of that secret sauce, <laughs> that, that special stuff that really makes us who we are. So let's review our values together. Open your heart, open your mind. Our first value is equip and empower. This is a huge emphasis for our staff, in particular because Ephesians 4 tells us that God gave to the church, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. He goes on to say he gave these uh, people to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You know, in a lot of church settings, uh, people hire staff to do the ministry. Well, that's backwards. And all that does is perpetuate a consumeristic mentality. And um, it it really cuts the legs out from under the church people themselves. In, indeed, our church staff are at real life for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. 
So this is so critical to what we believe and what we're seeking to do and how we're seeking to implement everything that we do at Real Life. We, we haven't called men and women to serve on staff to do the ministry. We've called men and women to serve on staff at Real Life to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So in our church, it's our, our eager expectation. It's our passionate to desire to see the whole church activated for ministry. And I love this. This is what a church plant does. Uh, a church plant needs everybody to roll up their sleeves and to serve the Lord. So equipping and empowering is something we're so passionate about. In other words, as we discuss on our staff team, it's not just getting the job done that's success. It's how we get the job done. In other words, we can accomplish the result that we're after. But if we don't accomplish the result that we're after in a particular way, what do I mean by that? Consistent with our values, then we really haven't accomplished success. Yes, we have the desired result, but we didn't have the desired pathway to that result. You may say, well, why is that important? Well, it's because it's God's plan. It's God's plan. In, in other words, the church is not an organization where people come and consume. The, the church is a living organism where God fills individuals with his spirit and he gifts them. He gives them spiritual gifts for the purpose of serving the body of Christ. So everybody has spiritual gifts given by God. And it's God's plan and passion that they would use their spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. Well, that's only going to happen. If in the staff realm, we have a passionate commitment to equipping and empowering the body of Christ. And it's only going to happen if the body of Christ is eager and hungry to be empowered in ministry. Um, one of the a commitment to equipping and empowering means that we're going to make lots of mistakes um, because part of in a new church like ours, part of the uh, equipping process is sometimes pushing people out of the nest before they feel like they're ready. Uh, sometimes it's sometimes you have to actually empower people for them to feel the weight of responsibility for them to actually be equipped in the task. Uh, everybody knows, most everybody knows that we learn best through failure. We learn best by making mistakes. Um, I was talking to our student minister, Clay Knight, uh, several months back. He's the he's DJ in the podcast, by the way. So thank you, Clay, for your time and energy here before Christmas. Um, and, um, and, and Clay is probably the most eager, teachable, humble staff member I've ever worked around. He's a daily joy because he's so eager to learn, which little parentheses here. In the Wyatt home, we have man rules and our three man rules. Uh, and we only have three because you got to be really good at three before you move on to more. Uh, but number one is always protect women. Number two is take responsibility. And number three is be eager to learn. And, and Clay Knight embodies manhood in such a way that he's eager to learn. You know, you have to be secure in the gospel. You have to be secure in the Lord to be eager to learn. And insecurity would lead someone not to be eager to learn. He's so He's so eager to learn. And uh, we were in the car the other day, a few months back, and Clay was asking me something. Um, he was talking about the future of ministry. He was talking about areas of growth. I can't remember exactly what we were talking about, but what I, basically what I told him um, was, you know, Clay, the only, the, only thing that, the only thing you really need to do now is just make a handful of really big mistakes. <laughs> and uh, it is, you know, his response was so funny because he was like, well, I don't want to do that, you know, but it's like, it's the only thing that he lacked was like, blow it on something really big and like feel that pain and walk through that consequence and realize 
it's going to be okay even when I blow it. Like the whole thing's not going to burn down when I make a major mistake on something. Um, but but for somebody to feel comfortable in their new role in a new church with lots of responsibility, um, for them to grow into and to take their own leadership lessons that they begin to pass on to somebody else from their own experience that comes from making lots of mistakes. So as we commit to equipping and empowering, as we put ministry in the hands of the people over and over again, as we empower volunteer ministry leaders in our church, as we push people out of the nest, we know everything's not going to be perfect and we're going to make lots of mistakes, but we're passionately committed to equipping and empowering people. That's one of our values, equipping and empowering. That's how we implement our mission and vision. Um, Real quick, margin for mission. I love uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus gives this this parable about how this this man um, gets, gets beat and left for dead. And all these people walk by and they don't stop. They walk on the other side of the road. A priest, a Levite, they walk by, they don't stop. And then finally a Samaritan comes. And the Samaritan crosses... Um, uh, the, the Samaritan crosses these ethnic boundaries to minister to the man that's left in the ditch. And, and what's striking about the text is, is that the Bible says that it was compassion that moved his heart. Well, most people have compassion for hurting people, but everybody doesn't have margin to give to those that are hurting. Everybody doesn't have margin in their lives to minister to others. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, we live with this kind of perpetual state of FOMO. What is that? What is FOMO? It's fear of missing out. Everybody lives in this fear of missing out. And we're we're looking at what everybody else is doing. We're looking at everybody, everybody else's Instagram feed. And we see what everybody else is doing. And we think we've got to go to that place and we've got to go visit that thing. And we've got to go watch that movie. And we've got to we've got to experience this and we've got to attend that game. And and people are over committed. They've said yes to too much. And as a result, they're exhausted. Most families are just coming up for air on Friday. And so since the beginning of real life, we wanted to plant a church that addressed that fundamental need in our culture. People need margin in their lives. They need to come up for air. They need margin in their pocketbook. They need margin in their calendar. They need margin in their emotional space. They need breathing room. They don't need to live in a perpetual state of exhaustion. People don't need to live in a perpetual state of overcommitted. Jesus went to bed every night modeling for us how human beings are limited. We're all limited in our time and in our energy, in our emotional capacity. We're all limited in our physical strength. We all have limitations. And freedom comes by acknowledging our limitations. So for us as a church, we've been passionate to say we're committed to margin for mission. In other words, we want to help you secure margin in your own personal life. We do that through our preaching, through our teaching, by encouraging you, by reminding you that it's important. You can say no to three sports for your kid in the fall and maybe try one. You can say no to all those invites to participate in in the choir thing and in the field trip and whatever else the invites are. You can say no. You can overcome the fear of missing out. You can overcome the fear of disappointing someone. And you can say no. You can be intentional. You can be purposeful about what you're giving your time to. And you can guide your kids in that. You can guide your family in that. So as a church, we want to help you say no to the wrong things, say no to the best things, and have breathing room and margin where you're not in a perpetual state of angst because you're trying to do too much. Well, as a church, we want to do that in our programming as well. We don't want a different night of the week 
a lot of times when people say we have a lot going on at real life, I press back and I say, do we really like do like, do we really? Uh, I grew up in a church culture where we gathered on Sunday morning for worship. We gathered on Sunday night for worship. We went on Tuesday night visitation. We went to Wednesday night church. And then usually every other weekend, there was some event on the on the weekend. That was a lot. That wasn't margin. Um, in real life, we're very intentional by our programming. We think through, uh, do we really want to invest our time? Is this really, do we really want to ask our people, the church, to invest their time in this? Is this really going to be strategic and effective for accomplishing our mission? And we say no to a lot. We don't always get this right. We don't always get this right. We won't always get this right. But this is our goal and this is our guide. This is our value, margin for mission. Why margin? Well, one, it's so that you can flourish. It's so that you can flourish. So you've got peace in your life because you've not overcommitted to things. But it's also so that you can love your neighbors. It's margin for mission. In other words, we want the church to be equipped and empowered to live out the mission of Jesus Monday through Saturday where they live, work, and play. And we want them to have the margin to do it. We don't want to fill Christians' lives with so much Christian clutter and so much Christian activity that they miss the most basic Christian thing, loving their neighbor as themselves. This is hard to do. It's not easy. We won't always get it right. But convictionally, we believe this is the goal. Uh, so church, margin for mission is how we go about it. So we used to tell people a lot in the path, we're going to be able to dream up amazing things we can do as a church, and we're going to say no to most of them. What? Why would we say no to amazing things? It's because we're committed to the best things. We're committed to the God thing. And that starts with knowing and loving your neighbor as yourself. When we say neighbor, we don't necessarily mean the person across the street from where you live. Um, but that's a good place to start. What we mean is the people that God has put in your life, either at the gym or um, at the bagel shop, at the coffee shop, uh, at your workplace, the people that you interact with on a regular basis, that you see on a regular basis. These are the people that we call neighbors, the people that are far from God, that God has put in your life, that you are privileged to get to know, to introduce them to Jesus, to invite them into Jesus' church. We want you to have the margin to do that, margin for mission. If you come home every day from work and you're only always exhausted, you're probably never going to walk across the street and ask your neighbor, how are you doing? If if you go into the weekend, every weekend, and you've got to be in Nashville, you've got to be in Murfreesboro, you've got to be in Cookville, every single weekend for travel sports, you're probably not going to be able to walk across the street. I'm not, I'm not throwing travel sports under the bus. We've got four kids. We do this. Um, who on the travel sports team is your neighbor that you need to, as you sit on the bleachers, hear their story, care for their burdens, invite them into what God is doing. Um, margin for mission. We've got equipment and power, margin for mission, and then we have grace and truth in relationships. Church, listen to this. When we started Real Life Church, this value was articulated as truth in relationships. For 10 years, when people would ask me, what is your ministry philosophy? I would say it's simple, truth in relationships. Three words. That was my ministry philosophy. Share truth in the context of relationships. And I believe that that was enough. I believe that that was all that needed to happen is just share the truth in the context of a relationship. How did I miss the most obvious thing? <laughs> in John 1, uh, it said that Jesus came marked with grace and truth. Grace and truth. In other words, when all we have is truth, um, it's it, it just comes as harsh when all we have is grace, it just comes as lawlessness. It just comes as 
uh, no boundaries. And, and so Jesus's life and ministry was marked with grace and truth. So literally, when we published, uh, when we, we printed up banners and signs at Real Life, and it was truth and relationships. And as we launched the church, the realization came, it needs to be grace and truth in relationships. We reprinted the banner. We rolled it out. No, our value is not truth and relationships. It's grace and truth in relationships. We want to minister God's grace and truth. We want to, we want to speak tenderly and firmly. We want to be both compassionate and honest. And um, usually people find themselves in need of either being a little more gracious or a little more truthful. And both are gifts. Both need to happen. Um, so where do you personally need to grow? Grace and truth, grace or truth. Yeah, but don't miss this. We minister God's grace and we minister God's truth to one another in the context of relationships. This is how we do our ministry. So if a problem comes up, the question is, who has a relationship with these people? Who can minister grace and truth to these people? Are they connected in relationship? They don't just need to hear what to do. They need relationship. Why is that? Well, when you read through the New Testament, just a casual read through the New Testament, um, what you see is the church is to be radically relational. You see dozens, literally dozens of one another commands. What do I mean one another commands? Well, the Bible says um, teach one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, welcome one another, bear with one another, outdo one another uh, by showing honor, greet one another with a holy kiss. Um, there's dozens and dozens and dozens. Forgive one another, outdo one another in showing honor, love one another, grow in loving one another. There's all these one another commands. And so in the West, we've popularized the idea of your own individual relationship with God, and that is good. But we've missed an emphasis on we are the people of God. We are the family of God. We are the church of God. In, in the vast majority of the New Testament letters were written to groups of people with the intention that the groups of people would apply that letter in the context of the community, not most as individuals. So relationship is core to what the church is intended to be, and grace and truth is what we're committed to uh, in the context of relationships. It takes wisdom and discernment of the Holy Spirit to get this right, but it's what we're committed to, grace and truth in relationships. This is what our community groups are all about. In our strategy that we said earlier, gathering, giving, serving, and living, I didn't really speak about our community groups, but our community groups is part of gathering. In grace and truth and relationships is what community groups are all about. We like to say it's where strangers become friends and friends become family. That's where grace and truth in relationships gets lived out most consistently and most intentionally. So if you're not a part of a community group, if you're not hosting a community group, if you're not facilitating a community group, perhaps 2024 will be the year you develop the courage. You step out of the nest. You take that step of faith and begin to lean in. Finally, our fourth value, it's our mantra. It's keep it real, keep it Jesus. Ephesians 4 again tells us that we ought to speak the truth in love. This is what it means, keep it real. We're honest. We're open. We're transparent. We don't hold things back that ought to be said. We don't delay resolving conflict. We don't pretend and say we're doing fine when we're hurting. We don't give pad, cliche, surface answers. We're authentic with one another. Why? Because the Bible has taught us to speak the truth in love. Jesus, indeed, in John 14, 6 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
So we've got to resist deceit. We've got to resist holding our cards too close to our chest. Indeed, when God, think about this, when God revealed himself to us, it was an act of love. And when we reveal ourselves to others, even when we're in a funk, even when we're discouraged, even when we're hurting, even when we have an offense we need to reconcile, when we reveal ourselves to others, it is an act of love. We want to keep it real. We don't want to pretend. We don't want to be a fake. We don't want to be fake. Nobody needs a fake church. Nobody needs a shallow, well, praise the Lord kind of a church. We want to be real. We want to mourn well. We want to grieve well. We want to lament well. Um, We want to be honest with one another. Uh, This is what it means. Keep it real and keep it Jesus. Churches have a tendency to experience division over issues that should never divide them. People end up clinging to theological issues that are, um, they become emotionally charged theological issues, and they end up splitting churches and dividing churches. And for us, the reason our mantra is keep it real, keep it Jesus, is because we want to say, we don't want our differences to divide us. We want what we agree about most to unite us, and we agree about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not saying that doctrine is not important. It absolutely is. It's just saying that our unity in Jesus is critical. As we have doctrinal debates, as we as we, uh, as we dialogue about differences, we want to keep our eyes on Jesus. We want to fight for the unity that he prayed for in John chapter 17. We want to keep it Jesus. So we don't want politics to divide us. We don't want second tier and third tier theological issues to divide us. We want to be unified in King Jesus, in his mission, in his great commandments, loving God, loving others, making disciples. This is what we're unified in. It's Jesus and it's what Jesus has called us to do. And in that, diversity becomes beautiful. Diversity that doesn't divide us, that doesn't necessitate that we divide, that diversity becomes beautiful. We welcome it. Um, It's like the old saints used to say, um, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, diversity, and in all things, charity. That's what we mean when we say, keep it, Jesus. Um, Church, thank you for rallying around the mantra. Um, I'll never forget uh, sitting over lunch with a dear couple um, a couple of years ago. And it was after there was so much racial unrest in our country. There was so much um, hostility toward uh, police force and different things. And the church that this couple had been a part of had um, really gotten tangled in these issues. They'd really gotten distracted from the mission of Jesus, from great commandments. And this couple just said over lunch, really with a broken heart, is that we needed somebody to keep it Jesus. We needed somebody to keep it Jesus. And when they said that, my heart just leaped out of my chest. And I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us language. You've given us a value that resonates for this moment in history. Um, Church, I love you. This has been a fun series to go through as we've looked at our story, our vision, our mission, our strategy, our values. Um, I hope you've taken something away. I hope it's renewed your faith. I hope it's clarified your vision for a new year. Church, I want to let you know if you... If you ever want to set up a meeting with me, you can go to our website, go to the bottom of my bio on our leadership page. You can click a link and then select the kind of meeting, fill out a form, um, and we'll have somebody schedule that meeting for you. I want I want you to know I'm accessible to you, um, and I would love to meet with you if I can serve you in any way. 
Um, I want to pray for you now as we move into the new year. And I'm just so thankful for you. I'm believing 2024 is not going to be a suffering-free year, but it's going to be a year filled with Jesus. It's going to be a, a year filled with the mission of Jesus, the empowerment of his spirit, all for the glory of the Father. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray by your Holy Spirit. Father, equip us, empower us. Lord, help us to honor you with all that we have. Help us to live your mission out of the overflow of our relationship with you. Father, thank you for all that you're doing at Real Life. Thank you for the men and women, the boys and girls, the grandparents and the grandkids and the spiritual family that you're building. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Um, Father, help us not to miss your work in our midst. Strengthen us with resolve in the new year to protect the unity of your church and to live live out the vision, the, the mission, these values. Thank you, Father. We bless you. I pray for your saints listening to the podcast today. Comfort them, strengthen them, empower them for a new year that glorifies you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I say keep it real. Keep it Jesus. DJ Clay Knight, thanks for carrying us through this series, and we'll see you in 2024.